teams are catching up to the United States women's national team. The U.S. lost three straight games in October and November of last year, one to England, one to Spain, and one to Germany. It marked the U.S.'s first three-game losing streak in almost three decades. This is a big win for Germany, and you could say a big loss, too, for the U.S., not used to losing, as we said, three straight for the first time since 1993. It's a 2-1 to one final. With some extremely strong European teams, competition for this year's World Cup trophy will be stiffer than ever before. But the biggest thing standing between the United States and a World Cup three-peat isn't one of the teams that beat them last year. No, the U.S.'s biggest obstacle ahead of this summer's tournament is themselves. I'm Joe Lowry, and welcome to the Backheel Show, where we bring you quality American soccer coverage in just 10 minutes or less. On today's episode, we're looking at how the U.S. women's national team is holding itself back ahead of this summer's World Cup. We'll get you up to speed on the USWNT and the amount of time it takes you to drink your morning coffee or take your afternoon walk. Here at Backheeled, we believe that just because soccer games are 90 minutes long doesn't mean that soccer podcasts have to be. So let's get to it and talk soccer. I remember right where I was. I was at home watching the game, taking some notes, and wondering if we were ever going to see something different. It's February 2021. The United States is in Orlando, facing off against Canada in a She Believes Cup game. In a few months, the team will be in pursuit of Olympic gold in Tokyo. So this game in February should be about fine-tuning ahead of the Olympics. But the U.S. didn't do much fine-tuning that day in February. Instead, they crossed and crossed and crossed some more. And by the end of the 90 minutes, the U.S. had crossed the ball 42 times. Rapino on the left. The cross. Overshot a couple of players there, including Lynn Williams. That's uh, a lot of crosses. Too many, really. Plenty of people who are way smarter than me have crunched the numbers and found that crossing the ball into the box over and over again isn't a terribly efficient way to attack. Studies have shown that it takes more crosses to generate one goal than it does for several other kinds of passes to do the same. Things like cutbacks, where a player drives to the end line, then passes it backwards or at an angle to an onrushing teammate, or a through ball, or even a run-of-the-mill forward pass. Those are usually more reliable and effective methods when you're trying to score a goal. Now, while the U.S. eventually found a way through against Canada from across, funnily enough, inefficient possession play has been a major theme under manager Vlatko Andonovsky. The USWNT is great, and I mean great, on the break. They're awesome in transition. Sophia Smith, Mallory Swanson, Trinity Rodman, and a whole bunch of other players will rip you apart on counterattacks. But when the U.S. settles into sustained possession to give themselves a breather, or when a team like Canada gives the U.S. almost 60% of the ball like they did a couple of years ago in Orlando, well... That's when the USWNT start to fall apart. And there it is, the final whistle from Estadio El Sarar in Pamplona, Spain. Dejection for the Americans, but joy for the Spanish. Plenty of things have changed for the U.S. over the last few years, really from Blackco's first game in charge back in 2019 to today. A group of young, talented, and fun attackers is seemingly taking on more responsibility for the U.S. every game. There are new faces in the midfield and across the back line, too. One thing that hasn't changed much, though, is how the U.S. operate when they have the ball. Despite having several of the world's most skilled players, the U.S. seem to avoid using those players to their advantage. Now, let me give you an example. There's this one pattern that the United States use in possession 
that goes a little something like this. First, the U.S. swing the ball from one side of the field to the other, aiming to find their fullback, who's all the way out on the wing. That's what's happening here. Smith hustled off the ball, but it ends up at the feet of Rapino. Now Sullivan. When the ball reaches that fullback, instead of teammates coming towards them to give some close-range passing options, they all break forward into the box, leaving that player on their own. There's no plan to pass or dribble the ball forward as a group. There's only one goal. Get the ball into the box as quickly as possible. And that's the last step. The ball flies into the box. Well, I guess that's not quite right. The last step is usually an opposing defender clearing the ball out of danger or the opposing goalkeeper just catching it. And that's what happens here. Maybe some more. Mace. Reddit Rodriguez. I'm not going to lie. It's tough to watch some of these sequences. Maybe you found that to be true, too, as you've watched these games. Not because hitting crosses into the box is always bad. There are times when it makes sense, and some crosses are more useful than others. But because the U.S. run away from the ball carrier instead of towards that player, their best players don't end up touching the ball all that much, or at least not as much as they could, and certainly not in the most important spots or in the most important moments. The U.S. end up hoping that if they pump enough balls into the box, the other team will eventually make a mistake or or two mistakes. They almost never use their talent advantage, even against still some of the best teams in the world. They almost never use their attacking firepower to play a little bit and to force the other team into slipping and sliding into making a whole series of mistakes. USWNT's unwillingness to combine and play and keep the ball on the ground to work through a defense isn't the only thing that hurts them in the attack. And it's not the only thing that limits the number of touches that their best players get on the ball either. The U.S.'s own positioning in possession comes back to bite them all the time. In possession, the U.S.'s central midfielders often pull wide to become almost like wingers in the attack. Lindsay Horan, who usually starts on the left side of central midfield, and her counterpart on the right, Rose Lavelle, rotate all the way out to the wings. Now I know what you're saying. Players rotate around the field all the time. They pop up in different spots, and and you're right. Players rotate in and out of position so much that the shorthand ways we refer to formations as 4-3-3s or 4-2-3-1s or back threes or whatever don't even really come close to capturing how a team actually looks when they have the ball. A fullback might become a winger for a while, which changes the number of defenders you have. A striker might become a midfielder, or a midfielder might become a forward or a defender. You get the idea. Everyone is moving all the time. And most of the time, that movement is what unbalances defenders, enforces mistakes, and creates goals. It's a symphony of movement. See what we did here with the editing and the symphony in the background? It's not bad, right? Yeah, we're we're proud of ourselves. Movement in soccer is good, but for the U.S., moving their midfielders out of uh, um, the, the middle of the field doesn't help them at all. It hurts. That wide rotation takes Haran and Lavelle away from the most important areas. Let me explain. According to a study done by The Athletic, forward passes are less common out wide than they are in the half spaces. According to that same study, forward passes are less valuable out wide than they are in the middle of the field. There's a reason why you just don't see the world's most creative midfielders rotate all the way high and wide. There's more to be gained from players like Lavelle and Haran in the middle of the field than there is on the wing. The numbers show that, and, and whether they've looked at the numbers or not, players inherently know that. Coaches know it, and even those of us that just watch soccer have an idea about that too. And yet, 
the U.S.'s central midfielders regularly make a point of moving away from the action rather than staying inside and getting on the ball. Instead of forcing opposing defenses into mistakes that make them fall apart, it's the U.S. women's national team that starts to fall apart when they have the ball for too long. The beautiful thing about the U.S. is that even with all of their flaws, they're still one of the best teams in the world. They still do amazing things on the field, and they're still in contention to win absolutely every game they play. But why settle for contention? Why settle for some half chances when with all of your talent, you could have a whole handful of great chances, even against the best defenses in the world? There's so much room for the U.S. to get better, which should be a scary thought for opponents. There's room for them to turn more attacks into goals, more wins into dominant wins, and more World Cups into victory parades. It just has to start with making better choices on and off the ball. That's it for this episode of the Backheeled Show. If you're looking for more American soccer coverage, check out backheel.com or scroll up or down right here in the Backheeled Show feed. We'll talk to you again soon.